You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. So there's two types of people in the room when it comes to decision making, and that's probably an overgeneralization, but, but you don't have a lot of time to unpack that stuff. So. You got the guy or the gal who goes into the store and literally comes out in seven minutes with everything they wanted, right? And then you have the other person that goes into the store that wanders around for four hours and comes out with five different things, knowing that they're going to take four of them back, but they just couldn't decide in the store, right? Um, I'm not speaking from experience. I'm just, I read a lot this week, okay? But you have the person that goes into the restaurant and immediately they've been to that restaurant 50 times and so they order what they get every time. And then you have the other person at the table that's like, what do you want? What are you getting? And they, after they order, they're like, oh, I wish I would have got what they got, right? When it comes to decision-making, we got, you know, two types of people. You got people who, who are a little bit timid and indecisive, and you have those people who just kind of bulldoze through, and right or wrong, they, they go after what they want. Um, it's interesting, this week I was reading statistics and just kind of researching that 56% of people in America consider themselves indecisive, 56%. And then I read further on that if asked whether in playing a game of hide and seek, people would rather hide or seek, those who chose they wanted to be the seekers, out of those, 35% considered themselves indecisive. That has nothing to do with anything. I just thought it was very interesting. Uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because the people that are like indecisive, like, I don't want to be the one. Maybe I stand alone. I can't find anybody. And I just like wander around for three hours. I don't know. But anyway, either way, sometimes... We either make decisions that we just bulldoze through or we have trouble making decisions. Um, and, and we are a people as followers of Christ where Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, your will be done, right? As on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and life is full of decisions, just full of them, right? Big ones, little ones. Um, and as followers of Jesus, how do we... How do we do that, right? I mean, so you, you're, you're asking the question, uh, should I send my, which kid, which school should I send my kids to? Great question. And there's no Bible verse. I mean, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and yours should go to country day. That's not in there. Right. Should we buy that home? Should we not? In my father's house, there are many rooms. Yours is in Ardsley. That verse is not there. So how do we as followers of Christ make decisions? And, and there's a lot in the church we talk about, and it's kind of a churchy kind of idea, but the idea of finding God's will, right? What's God's will? And we hear that language a lot in the church. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. More importantly, it's not as much that we want to find God's will as we want God to lead us. We want God to direct us in our lives, right? And so how do we do that? Hopefully we'll have some answers as we continue in our study of Judges, and we're in Judges chapter 6. Uh, so I'll have it on the screen. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Judges 6. If you have your phone, it should be really easy to find Judges 6, right? So uh, we're going to just cover a few verses today. Uh, if you're new, we've been working our way through this book called Judges. It covers about a 350-year period of Israel's history from, like, them entering back into the land and conquering it for Joshua kind of as a general for a couple years, and then he dies. You have about a 350-year period where there's no king. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes, and they continue to fall into this, this cycle of sin 
uh, where, they, where they reject God and God brings a, a nation to conquer them so they're in servitude and then they cry out after a specific amount of time and there's sorrow and, re- and sometimes repentance, sometimes not, and God raises up a savior, a, a judge. And so last week we saw a judge named Gideon. He, he was a guy who uh, would be most, most likely uh, voted not, not gonna succeed, right? We see him hiding in a wine press and, and God calls him and shows up, kind of sneaks up on him and, and shocks him. And we saw the difference that God's presence makes in his life and in ours, where he transforms us. He takes him from hiding to he's gonna make him a, a mighty warrior. He makes him adequate. He gives him peace. He helps him to follow. He makes him an influencer of others. And that's what God's presence does. Well, he's in that transformation process still. It's still early on. He is not yet the mighty man of valor. Right? He still, he's still kind of has some doubts. And we're going to see him have some doubts today is, as he is working, as God is moving. And, it, and that should be refreshing to us. And we, we, we hammer folks in the Bible a lot. Oh, he was weak. He was weak. Look, God is in it about transforming people. And that doesn't take, that's not an overnight deal. And the heroes in scripture are often very flawed, which should be great encouragement. And that, that's on purpose, so that you will relate, but also so that you look, there's only one true hero in the scripture. There's only one who never disappoints, and that is the one who came at Bethlehem and died at Calvary. So let me read our text. It picks up right after last week. Last week, remember, he, he got the family tractor out. He pulled down the Asherah and the Baal pole, right? They gave him a new name. His name now is Zerubbabel, which means he, he kicked... Baal's tail, right? That's his name. And so we pick up right in verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Bezerites were called out to follow him and he sent messengers through all Manasseh and they were too called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali and they went up to meet them. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. And when he rose the next morning and squeezed the fleece and he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl of water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. If you read uh, books or listen to sermons about this passage, and many of you are familiar with this passage, Gideon gets a bad rap here. I mean, I've listened and read enough this week that there are not many people that are fond of Gideon in this passage. It's all Gideon doubts God, Gideon wavers. And look, I'm not saying he's the perfect model, but I think we should give old boy a break. Like two days earlier, he's hiding, he ain't even willing to make a sandwich in public, right? And now God makes him a four-star general. And by the way, he's never fought a battle, right? He's, he's, his life is in danger. When's the last time you stuck your neck out so your life was in danger? See, it's real easy sitting in the pew. Yeah, Gideon, weak in faith. Right, weak in faith. I think we should show old boy a little grace because that's the grace that God shows him and that's the grace that we want. How often do we have hiccups in our faith where we struggle? Um, and by the way, God's thought enough of this, this man to put him in the Hall of Fame of Faith and I ain't seen your name there. <laughs> so I think, I think it's okay. But what we want to avoid as a church is this 
bumper sticker theology. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Yeah, that's true, absolutely. But that does not allow for the wrestling and the struggles of life that's our reality. And if you go in with your bumper sticker theology, I can tell you, you're probably not gonna be an encouragement to many people. And you're not gonna be an influencer, right? And so there's a, there's a, a sense here that, yes, Gideon struggles with some things, but it's okay, and God is gracious, and so should we, right? So let's see how he handles the situation. So verse 33, it jumps in, it says, the Midianites and Malachites and all the people of the East came together. Remember, this is a group from the South, they got their camels, they come into town every harvest, they take everything and they go away. And this is their eighth time around, except this time's gonna be different. Because the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and, and now he's divinely empowered and it says that he blew the trumpet. And that word blew, taka in the Hebrew. It's the same word back when we saw lefty stabbing Jabba the hut. Remember, he thrust the sword, it's that same word. He was divinely empowered. And it's the same word when he blew the trumpet. Now he is divinely empowered, so he blows a trumpet and he gathers the Abizarites and he calls out the Manasseh and all these people show up. And now he's got, we find out next chapter, 32,000 men. That's pretty good, right? It's pretty good. But here's the problem. The Midianites and the Amalekites have 135,000, right? And they're well-armed and well-fed. And, and Gideon starts looking at this rabble, and it's great that they showed up. But remember, they're starving, so they're all emaciated, they're skinny, they're kind of weak. They got like pitchforks, they don't really have swords. And you have this, 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 this army with like tanks, and he's looking down over the valley, and there's 135,000, and he's looking over this. And understandably, he starts to have questions. And he's thinking, why did I blow that trumpet? Why, that, I should have stayed in the wine press. Right? He's starting to have doubts. And here's a principle just for us as we're, as we're struggling and some of us sometimes we make decisions in a way of regret and we thought, wasn't God leading this way? And then and all of a sudden, here's, here's a great principle right out of the text for us is, is don't doubt in the dark what was clear in the light. See, that's easier said than done. But if you tie your spiritual well-being to your circumstances, you will live a never-ending emotional roller coaster life, right? Because sometimes you can be smack dab in the middle of where God has placed you, and it is a train wreck. And it's easy to say, this, you, you, you led me here, or did you? And then we start questioning, like Gideon, maybe I should have stayed in that, maybe I should have turned left instead of going right. And we start doubting and doubting and doubting. When, when our family moved to Dallas back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was now, um, we were convinced God had led us to seminary and all these things. And within six months, minivan, blown head gasket, gone. Three or four months later, this guy hits Sarah uh, when she's on the way back from a doctor's appointment with Susu, totals that car. We're down two cars in less than a year. And I'm making like $23,000 a year, not exactly going out and buying a Honda Odyssey. And we're, you're thinking... We're where we're supposed to be here. We're sacrificing. We moved. Hello. It's, should we come? Should we have shown up? I knew I shouldn't be in Greek. I knew I shouldn't. See, it's easy to doubt when things fall apart. God has called you to, to move. And some of you have moved recently, and you came from a place you love, and you were close to family, and you love that job. And you show up here, and you're like, oh, it's the beach. It'll be great. And they didn't tell you about the gnats. 
But then you move into the house, you buy a new house and the water heater breaks and your boss is not what he th- you thought. And then you get past there for the motion and all these things. And it's just not going the way you expect. And you're like, but God, you did this. Right? We, we just we felt like God was calling us to adopt and we didn't realize it was going to be this challenging. Right? Or, uh, you know, we're, we're doing this over here and God, you, you called me to coach this baseball team and all the parents hate me. That's part of being a t-ball coach, y'all. You just are hated, right? W- whatever it is, right? You've been, you're generous over here, and, and these people, they don't appreciate it. You, you felt like God wanted you to go to that person because you hurt their feelings, and I'm going to go apologize, and you feel like you're doing God, and they just like, I, I don't care. You, 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 your roommate is in a train wreck of a relationship, and you just felt called by God to kind of go and talk to her about that, and you're thinking, okay, I'm doing what God wants, and she just like, I don't care. You're in the middle of what God wants you to do and it just doesn't go the way. It's not fair. You're doing everything God's cost you to do and you're being faithful and you're working hard and you're being generous and you're not being blessed. But this guy over here, he, he's cheating. He's cheated his way through high school. He gets into the school he wants to. I don't. Don't doubt in the dark what was clear in the light, right? Jesus was in the middle of the Father's will all along. People hated him. He couldn't even go into towns because he was being resisted. He, ca- he couldn't go into this city because it was so bad. He couldn't go to this area. The devil is constantly tempting him. Paul is right where God wants him to be. He ends up in jail. His ship sinks. Then he gets bit by a snake. And then all his friends leave. That's, he's in the middle of God's will. Joseph is, is faithful and this, woman, this married woman wants to sleep with him and he runs away. So he goes to jail. Right in the middle of God's will. Gideon is right in the middle of God's will. Outnumbered four to one. That's actually pretty good odds because Clint's gonna tell us next week. It goes from four to one to 250 to one, right? But don't doubt in the dark what was clear in the light. Peter tells us, beloved, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal among you which has come upon you for your testing. Don't be shocked. Jesus tells us, in this world, you have trouble. Take courage. I've overcome the world. We, should, we shouldn't be shocked, but we shouldn't lose hope. Don't doubt. If God was clear in the light, yes, then don't doubt it when everything falls apart. You expect it. Because it could, or it couldn't, right? But it's just a great principle right out of this text that Gideon needed to hear, right? All right, here's another great one. Let's continue in our text. And we're not going to get very far. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, Stop. All right, so Gideon gets a bad rap again, but he does what Christians should do. He's got questions. He's got struggles. Where does he go? He doesn't run back to bail. He's like, oh man, we, should have taken that po- we shouldn't have taken that bail pole down. We need to put that thing back up. He doesn't get out a pro and con sheet. All right, pros. Well, we haven't had a family reunion in a while, so we got a bunch of people here. Cons, we're all going to die. All right, well, so he's, he, he does what Christians should do. And again, people are hard, hey, you should have this and should have that. Look, Gideon grew up in a time, they didn't, he doesn't have a Bible. All right, there's no, nobody's handed him a Gideon Bible yet. <laughs> See, at work, Clint, I told you that was gonna be a good joke. <laughs> they mocked me earlier this week in the pastor's meeting. They, there's like one copy of the scriptures that Moses wrote like 100 years earlier. 
No one's doing their quiet time. No one's going to vacation Bible school. He grew up in vacation bail school, not vacation Bible school, right? So, so we, we were, he doesn't know all what scripture says. He doesn't have the Psalms and he doesn't have the gospels. So what does he do? He goes to the one place he knows he needs to go. He goes to God. I think that's great. Is his method questionable? We'll get into that in a minute. But I think his intent is right. He runs to God. You got questions? You got struggles? I need direction, God. I need to run to God. Isn't that what what the half-brother of Jesus, James, says? He says, if you lack wisdom, go where? Go to God. Who does what? Who gives generously to all. To all, without reproach. And what? It'll be given. But make sure you ask in faith, because don't go to God and say, lead me, but you really don't believe that he's going to lead you, because if you go in thinking he's not going to lead you, he's not going to lead you. So go in faith. But he says, go to God. The psalmist says this, David, he says, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him or her will he instruct in the way that he should choose. You're, you know, the idea of reverence or all or fearing God is just like, I want to live my life for what God, I want to do relationships the way he is. I want to do money the way he says. I want to do uh, all these things the way, that's the fear of the Lord. He, his, his soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit land. The friendship of the Lord, that, that word friendship in the Hebrew literally means the secret counsel. But the, the friendship of the Lord is for who? Those who fear him. Think about that. And if you're a friend with somebody, a friend tells, them, tells you things. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants. Servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but friends do, right? For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is the go to God. He wants to lead his people, right? That, that's, that's what he is looking to do. And, and I, look, I'm a dad. I, it delights my soul when my kids come to me and say, what do you think? I mean, if all parents are thinking, I wish, I wish my kids would do that more. I wish you asked me before you did that. But is, as, a, as a parent, aren't you, oh, yeah, I love it when they come and say, Dad, what do you think? Dad, what do you think? And I'm fallen and broken and don't always know what to think. This is God, our Heavenly Father, who says, come, seek, knock, ask, right? Uh, trust in me with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. I will direct your paths what he says, right? He wants to give his people direction. He wants, he hasn't left us on our own. You got anxiety? He says, cast it here. You got worry? He says, cast it here, right? The problem is we don't ask. And this is the guy that goes into the store and has everything in three minutes. He just goes in, right? We don't ask, which, which again, the half-brother of Jesus says is foolishness. He says, come you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a town, spend a year and, and make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we live and do this. And that's not a Christianese, like, because we do this. We just say, well, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing. And it's a, it's a kind of Southern Christianese way of, of kind of tacking on Jesus and then going to what we want. That's not what James is talking about. Lord willing means, Dad, I need help. I need some direction. What do you want me to do? Dad, guide me here. Show me this. That's what Lord willing is. It's not just some cheesy tack on. It's actually, I don't know what to do. I, I need some wisdom here. Help me to discover this, right? And if you don't have clarity, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. That's what Jesus says, and you will find. So Gideon goes to God. I think that's great. 
I think it's a great encouragement for us, right? And God answers. Now, is his method the way we should follow? Let's, let's look at his method a little bit. Gideon said to God, if you will save my Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there's dew in the fleece alone and it's dry on the ground, I should know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So he, he's at the threshing floor, which is clearly not being used for threshing because we're using the wine press for that. So it's, it's vacant. So he says, he pulls out himself a shamwow, right? Into the shamwows. He gets himself a shamwow and says, God, I'm going to put the shamwow out. If in the morning the shamwow is wet, the ground's dry, I'll know I'm supposed to go attack Midian. So he goes to bed, wakes up, shamwow, right? He gets a whole cup of water out of that bad boy. And he's thinking, wow, that's a miracle. Wait, is it a miracle? Because maybe the shamwow would naturally take the dew. God, I need a redo. Right? I need a redo. And he rose, the, there's a fleece, and he wrung enough out for the, to fill a bowl of water. I, I need a redo, God. So he says, and he knows he's on thin ice here. He said, God, don't be mad. <laughs> don't be mad at me. You've kept me alive for a long time now. Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test this once more. Let it be dry on the fleece, I mean on the ground. Uh, the fleece be dry, the shamwell dry, and the ground wet. And then I'll know, then I'll know. And God in his grace did it. So he wakes up the next morning, the shamwell is dry, the ground is soaked, and his problems are solved, so he thinks. But he's still got struggles, we'll see next week. But for now, he's moving. And here's the question, is this a model? Because you'll hear it in the church, especially if you've been in church a while, just set out a fleece, you know, metaphorically speaking. Hey, you wanna know what God wants you to do? Set out a fleece, set out a fleece. Is that a model we should use? Let me say this up front. Has God used that in the church in the last 2,000 years? He, he, he probably has. It, it's better question is, is this the model we should be pursuing? For instance, we told uh, those who were at the member meeting a few, nights, a few weeks ago, we as, as elders are praying about potentially buying some property in this neighborhood to, to expand and do some things maybe with a, you know, to see what God would have us do. So we're just praying about that. And so what this might look like if you're gonna lay a fleece is like, we'd say, okay, God, if you want us to buy the land, then we will raise... $100,000 by May 1st. And then we'll know if we do that, that we are supposed to buy the land. Here's the problem. What if you raise $98,963? Do you do the Holy Spirit roundup? Well, you know, round to the nearest 10. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what if, okay, we said, we said by May 1st. What if a check comes in May 3rd that was postdated April 27th? Is that the devil's money and we shouldn't add it? Okay, it's, oh, Lord, I, want, I don't know if I should take this job. If they call me by 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, then I'll know I should take this job. What if they call at 3.08? But they live in Central Standard Time. Does that count? <laughs> See, the problem with fleecing is the same problem that he has. You don't really know if it's God or not. Ooh. Is the shamwell wet because of God or is it wet because... It's just humid. And so you always have to have that like doubt. It doesn't actually bring faith. That's the first problem. The second problem, and this is the more significant problem, is fleecing is ultimately dictating to God. God, I will move if you move. I will do that, but first you gotta do this. So he's telling God what to do. And, I don't, and if those of you have kids, this is not how it works in your house probably. You, you're, you don't go to your son or your daughter and say, okay, I want you to clean your room, turn off the TV, do your homework. They don't come back and say, well, I'll do that if you go get me ice cream and make sure the thermostat's on 73 degrees. 
And maybe you do, and that's why you have all the chaos you have. Because, no, I've asked you to do this. I'm your dad. And so it, it's going to God who is the omniscient sovereign of the universe and saying, I'm only going to do what you say if you do what I say. It's not a great position. That's not the fear of the Lord. It's not a reverential awe. Right? So th- those are two significant problems. Now, has God used this in the past? And people just, yeah, I think he has. The only time you see something kind of similar to this, at least in the New Testament, is in Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the church is not even technically born yet. The spirit hasn't come. And Judas is dead. And so the disciples are looking for a new disciple to fill his spot. And so they, they try to find someone that was there from the beginning and all these things. And they kind of narrow it down to two dudes, Matthias and Justice. And what do they do? They, they cast lots. And the lot falls to Matthias and Justice is out. He's like, man, I was almost a disciple. Right? But then you never see that happen again in the New Testament. Why? Because one chapter later, God the Holy Spirit is poured out in this church. And then from then on, you see this in the book of Acts. The Spirit led Paul to do this. The Spirit set apart Barnabas and, and Paul. And you see that. And now we have God's Spirit, His presence in us permanently. And so we're not told to seek a sign, Jesus says. We have a sign, the resurrection. Now we seek the wisdom that the Holy Spirit living in us as he would guide us. Now, again, can God use these things? Yes. Does God sometimes confirm things with signs? I think he does. But we're not supposed to seek it. We're supposed to walk with God. The spirit leads, right? That's what we want to see. Um, so big idea there is, is go to God, right? Go to God. Let's continue on um, and, and see kind of some other things that we can grasp from this text. Here's another helpful thing that I think for us as we're seeking God's direction that, that Gideon kind of shows us anyway. Gideon technically already knew what God wanted him to do, didn't he? I mean, if you look at the text, two times he, he says it in, in verse 36 and verse 37. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, right? And he goes down again in 37. Uh, if, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, Gideon's struggle is not technically knowing what God wants, is it? He already knows what God wants. His struggle is being confirmed in that. But here here is a great principle for us as you're seeking God's direction and you want to know, God, what do you want me to do, right? It's it's a biggie. If you don't know what to do, if what to do is unclear, obey what is clear. Do what you know. See, we as the church, we've made God's will this mystical kind of deal that you have to kind of go. It's like Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, right? And if I'm going to get to God's will, first I got to duck under a thing that comes and cuts people's heads off. And then if I get through that and I figure out the next code, then I'll walk on the, you know, Jehovah name and not fall through the hole. And then finally I'm going to have to jump. And then I get to go and find out what God's will is. That's how we kind of envision God's will. Like it's this tightrope that we're walking in life. And if I step too far to the left, there's like sharks in a bowl of acid below and I'm gonna fall off and die, right? And it's ah, you know, that's the kind of it. So we, that's how we approach God's, oh man, should I take the, the eight o'clock class or the 11 o'clock class? If I choose the wrong one, my future spouse might be in that eight o'clock. And if I miss, I won't ever meet her. And then she'll end up marrying the wrong, the different guy. And I'll end up marrying a, an ogre and it'll be awful. <laughs> and that's how we treat God's will. Like this tightrope, we're going to, oh, we're going to miss it. That doesn't sound like the God who says, I am at work in you for my good pleasure. That's a fear-driven way of handling things. 
right? That's, that's not the God who says, I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible, right? That's the scripture says, if you seek me, you'll find me. It's better to see God's will, if you're going to use the metaphor, not as a tightrope, but as this highway. And ideally, yeah, you want to be right kind of in that, in that middle there. But as you kind of drift this way, there's these guardrails. And as long as you're moving forward, God, you got to boom, you got, God will bump you back into the middle, and then you're fine. And then and you kind of work in it that way. It's not fear. It's just we want to keep moving forward, right? Uh, everything that we do is not a, quote, spiritual. Some of us treat every single thing as a spiritual decision. There are decisions in life that are amoral. It's not, oh, should we go to the mountains for vacation or the beach? God's saying, I made them both. They're both nice. Choose. <laughs> they really are. Right? I mean, if you have two houses that you're like, man, we love this house and we love this house. Which house, God? Can you afford them both? Do you like that one? Then buy it. Pay your bills and be a good neighbor. This one doesn't have like demons in it and this one's like angels. There's some freedom there. You got two colleges, you're like, man, this school's really good to have my major, this school's really good, we got aid for both of these schools. As long as one's not Alabama, choose. <laughs> I mean, you're fine. You know, and, and you know what, if it's the wrong one, guess what God's gonna do? You're gonna bump off off that and he's gonna get you to transfer. It, don't, you don't have to be afraid. You know, you know what Jesus tells us? He says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. You just, you just keep going down that highway and God will bump you. He won't bump you to Bama, but he'll bump you. Right? And, and so, and here's another just side note. This is for people that are like me. The hardest decision is not always the holy decision. Because sometimes we treat it like that, right? If it's harder, it must be better because God would want me to be, have hard times. Sometimes God does make the hard decision the right decision. But sometimes it's not. If that job, oh this, oh, this job, I'd really love this job. I think it'd be great for me. And it's a $10,000 raise. But God would never want me to have $10,000 more. So I got to stay in this job. I hate. No, maybe God wants you to take that job. Or maybe he wants you to stay. But don't just choose because something because it's hard. Well, I really like Sally. But Joni, she keeps, you know, she really wants me to ask her out. And she kind of smells. So God really would want me to marry the smelly one. <laughs> right? Because that's what he wants me. He wants me to be miserable. And I said, don't laugh, Greg, you'll make me laugh. <laughs> That's how we treat God sometimes. And some, look, sometimes the harder decision is the right decision. Because sometimes God blesses his kids with things that are good. And that's great. But don't make it a hardest is always the right way. Right? right? So we, we do obey what is clear. And, and by the way, in the dating world, don't, this is a, this is a complete side note, don't use the Holy Spirit as your excuse for breaking up with somebody, please. Well, I like you, but the Holy Spirit told me no. It's bad enough when you get dumped, but when you get dumped by God, it's even worse. So, okay, so hey, if you're like, just don't think, don't blame God, it's the point, right? But when the things of the world are unclear, there's plenty of clear things that God has given us direction on. And as you obey those things which are clear, you know what happens? God will reveal more to you. And I, I, we could spend weeks just talking about God's will for all believers. Let me just give you two, where he says, this is my will, right? First Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God of Christ Jesus for you. So you're like, I don't know what to do about this and this. Here's what you do, pray. 
Rejoice. You know what's not God's will? Complaining, slandering, gossiping, being ungrateful. So if you're like, I don't know what we should do with these children and there's really a struggle right now, I'll tell you what you do. Pray for those children. Rejoice that you have children. Give thanks for those children. That's what you do. You don't like your job. Rejoice that you have a job and that you're eating. Give thanks for God's provision in that. And and, and God will lead down there. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter earlier. This is the will of God, all right? Your sanctification, i.e. your holiness, your purity, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So if you're wondering, man, he asked me to move in with him to see if this thing works. I wonder if that's what God wants. I can tell you, it's not. Because God says, your purity is my will. Right? So you, well, no, we prayed about it. Well, you weren't praying to the same God of the Bible if you got that answer. Because he's saying right now, this is my will for you. Your purity, your purity matters. So you don't have to worry about friends with benefit and swiping left or right or whatever. You know what God wants, right? You know what God wants when there's conflict in a relationship. Well, how should I handle this? Well, you don't know that maybe specifics, but you know what Paul says? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Well, I don't know what that looks like. Well, you know it's forgiving. You know Jesus says, love your neighbor and love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you. How should I treat that boss that's super harsh to me? How should I treat that person that's slandered me, that's lied about me? You pray for them. Now, how that works out, I don't know. But that is God's will. Children, you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I should go to this college. I should go to this college. I don't know what major I should choose. I don't know if I should take this summer job. I don't know either. But here's what I do know. Honor your father and mother. You're honoring your dad and your mom because Jesus says it will go well with you in the land if you do. And go well with you in the land means you're going to get a job probably. It means things are the direction of your life and the trajectory will be better if you're honoring in mom and dad. So don't go all like I'm praying about college and then you're slamming your parents and lying behind their back because you're not obeying what you know. So why would God give you more direction? That's the idea. If you respond to the light that you have, God brings more light. This is what Jesus says in Mark 4. He says to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it'll be measured. And still bore me at it. The one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, that'll be taken away. Respond to what you got and God gives more light. If my kids, well, you know, once in a while, they're like, oh, we want a puppy. It's very rare. It's when you see a cute picture or something like that. And I'm like, y'all don't do nothing with Milton. I would love Milton to have a little buddy. Good old Milton needs a buddy. But I'm the only one that takes Milton out half the time. So we ain't getting no puppy because you ain't been faithful in a little thing. So how am I, yeah, all, you know how it is. Everyone who's ever asked for a dog, I'll walk him every day. Oh, I'll take care of him now. Yeah, right. Who gets up to take care of him? The parents. So if you're not faithful with a little thing, I'm not getting you a puppy. Right? Jesus says, hey, respond to what you know. And as you are walking down the highway, God will... Reveal more in his time. It may be right before you need to know. It may be earlier. Who knows? But the idea is, hey, it's not a tightrope. Just keep walking. Just keep walking. Keep pursuing. Keep doing what you know. That's, that's the idea. And that's what we do, right? Probably 90% of our questions about what's God directing can be handled if we just follow what we know, right? And God will reveal. He promises. Look, his reputation is ultimately at stake. Do you know what the psalmist says, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, that he leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. So if he doesn't lead you, it's his name on the line. I promise you, he will lead you. 
because he cares about his reputation and his glory. It's a promise we have. We can count on it. We can trust him. This is why the songs we've chosen, we trust you. We trust you. Right? That, that's what we want to affirm as a church. Right? So you want, you're wondering where to go, what to do? Go to God. Obey what you know. Right? A couple other observations, and then we'll sing. And this is an obvious one, but we, we often don't take it. It's just seek wise counsel. It doesn't say that Gideon went to anybody. He has a servant, we'll see him next week, who seems to be a trusted guy. He's got his daddy, right? He could have gone to his dad. Dad, hey, what do you think I should do? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But, but scripture is filled with, with encouragement. Hey, uh, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A wise man listens to advice. Without counsel, plans fail. Many advisors, they succeed. Look for wise counselors. Hey, what do you think? We're thinking about moving. We're thinking about getting married. We're thinking about this. And, and the key is wise counsel. Don't ask your 60-year-old buddy, man, what do you think about me asking her out? Right? What, do you, what do I should do with my life? Go to someone who knows. Right? Go to someone who knows. Someone who started a business. Someone who's, who's got into the rental property business. Someone who's, you know, whatever the situation is. Right? We got blind spots and we need other people speaking into it. You need people in your life that love you enough to tell you the truth. Bruh, do not do that. It's a train wreck. And don't be that person who is like, yeah, go ahead. That's great. Don't be that friend who sees your friend going off the rails and is like, well, that's their deal. No, that's not a friend. Faithful are the, the wounds of a friend. Right? And so be, be the friend that's willing to say that and ask and listen. And, and, just, and just so you know, just because someone gives you counsel doesn't mean their counsel is always true. So you have to weigh it. I asked a guy who's a, a mentor in ministry to me to this day back in 19 or 2000, what year did we go to seminary? 2001, should I go to seminary? He told me no. I was like, awesome. His counsel was wrong then. But you're not always right. That's why many counselors, that's why we have elders, plural, to keep each other accountable and it's not just one guy making all the calls. Right, that's what you need. Teenagers, young adults, high schoolers, middle schoolers, let me encourage you. I know it's hard to ask your parents, but I promise you, you, you will find great fruit if you do that. Right? And, and they're not always right, trust me. They've got as many issues. But if, even if you're in college and you're about to graduate, go in your mom or dad, if they're trusted. And some of you come from situations that you're not, and I get that. But if, if they've got life experience, they've got wisdom, if they're walking with the Lord, it's, it's worth a conversation. Hey, Dad, I'm thinking about this. Hey, Mom, what do you think? And it will delight their soul, I promise you. It will make their heart smile if you would do that more, right? If you're married, uh, spouses, you know, obviously God has given you one another to, to, to speak truth and to, and to give wisdom. You should not go buy a house. I know it worked for Jim and Pam on the office, but I would not go buy a house unless you're, you know, without your wife knowing, right? Although I did that once. She knew, but she didn't see it, that we were going to seminary. So it was different. But I wouldn't do it again. Right? You, you guys together make decisions, and, and it's wise, and use wise counsel. Here's another one real quick. Use your brain. God has given you a brain and a mind to think, to observe. And what I mean by that is it's not just necessarily logic. Because sometimes God will call you to do things that are illogical, and it requires faith. But, but know yourself and know your gifts. And if you feel like, oh, I'm going to start a business, but your checkbook is a mess, and you hate administration, and you're not a salesperson, maybe you need to assess that. If you're like, I think I should be a teacher when I grow up, but you hate public speaking, you might need to, to assess that. 
Know how God has worked in the past. Be observant of where God's moving and how he's worked and how he's led you and, how, and pay attention to those things. It's not, it's, these are, by the way, this is not a formula, one, two, three, four, five. This is all these things. Right? If you're looking for formulaic Christianity, you're not gonna find it, but you're just paying attention to what God is doing and how he's wired you and how he's gifted you and where are your passions? Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, what does he do? He gives you the desires of your heart. So, so know kind of what that looks like and know yourself well. And that's why you have to have community and people speaking truth and, and helping you, right? And Gideon, you know, he doesn't know himself yet. He actually, he should actually start getting an idea that he's a pretty good leader. He blows a trumpet, 32,000 people show up, Woo. He goes and gets 10 dudes and they tear down the idols in one night. So he's got some leadership gifts. He may not know it, but he's gonna learn it. And he's going to be a mighty man of valor. But just, know, just use your brain. Your design, your gifts, your experiences, what God is doing, right? Uh, I'm not saying God's not gonna ever call you out of your comfort zone. I think he will, because then you have to trust him. But he often uses those areas that he's used before and things like that. Here's the, here's the last thing, and this is probably the most important principle as we're gonna do it, and then we'll move to worship, is, is abide. The idea is Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father's the vine dresser. Abide in me, you're gonna bear fruit. Finding direction in our life as, as followers of Jesus is more about finding him than finding direction. It's more about knowing him than knowing what he wants. You know his heart, you're gonna get to where he wants you to be. He might be bouncing off the highway a little bit, but if you, if you follow hard after the Lord Jesus, and it, there's no shortcut here, there's just not. Jesus says in, in John 15, seven, abide in me and my words, abide in you and ask whatever you wish and it'll be done. This is his version of delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. But the key is this. You, you have to let his words abide in you. The scripture has been given that we may be adequate and equipped for every good work, right? That's sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God gives us his heart in the scripture. This is why Romans 12, two says, don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens? That you may know what the will of God is. And so we have to be a people who abide in Christ through his word, and then we will start to see what he wants. We'll start hearing his voice. We'll start knowing what he wants. And the more you walk with Christ, the more sensitive you will be to his voice and his shepherding of you and leading you. And it's often a gentle blowing. Sometimes it's a And when we were praying again about moving to Dallas and going to seminary, we are just praying about it, and someone shows up at our house and says, I wanna buy your house. That's, that's a whoosh. But as elders, a couple years ago, before we built this facility and we're trying to figure out, okay, we need to do something. We're in four services. We need, we need to figure it out. We, we, we're praying and trying to abide and we go over here and try to get up and God closes that door over there. So we're bouncing off here and we're moving forward until eventually, right, that, that was a process. But we, it just came from abiding. It came from abiding. And so just keep abiding. Keep walking with the Lord Jesus. He wants this connection. He's more concerned with who you are than where you are. If you are who you are, he'll get you where you need to be. He will. I wasn't even a Christian, and God put me in the school that prepared me for, the, for what I'm doing now. He sent me to the Citadel so I could do this and do that and do this. I would never have been equipped to do the things I'm doing now if I didn't do that. He, he was there before I was there. That's what he is. That's what he does, right? And so just trust the heart of the shepherd. Walk with the heart of the shepherd.
right? Just sometimes, and I, and I know some of you are like, you're, you're studying nerds, and I'm great, study and get all your circling out. Sometimes you just need to read scripture and pray and just say, Lord, speak to me through your word. Just read it to hear the voice of the Father. And then just take some time to think. What is this, what do you want me to do? And press, it's amazing how if you go seeking and you go looking, God illuminates things and you're like, wow. But there's no shortcut there, right? And we just wanna be a people that are constantly going to God and obeying what we know and abiding. And then just do something. I was gonna make this another point, but I was like, ah, six points is too many. But do something. Don't sit around. Right? Just move. In fact, there's a great little book. If you wanna read more about this, Kevin DeYoung actually wrote a book called Just Do Something. It's a great little, it's easy read. Right? And it's, it talks about God's will and all these things. But the idea is don't just sit around. I mean, Gideon blows a trumpet, he moves. Right? If you truly believe that God is gonna lead you, then you're gonna keep going up the highway and just do something and he'll get you where he needs you to go. Unless he's told you to stop, then do nothing. But otherwise, just let's be a people who move. Right? That's what we want. God, God wants to lead us, y'all. He wants to direct us. He's not trying to be secret. He's not trying to, ooh, I'm gonna keep them from what I really want them to know. You seek him, you will find him. Just abide in him, pursue him, go to God, ask wise counsel, use this noggin that he has given you, right? And, and, and we'll see him do great things and he'll get you where he wants you to be. Right? Let's pray. And if you, look, if you're looking for wisdom in some of that, we have pastors on staff. We have people in the back hall that will pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. You just need direction in this and how to handle this. Anytime you want to do that, you can meet with one of us during the week. We'd love to help you and walk with you in that. You've got to ask. Right? So let's stand. Let me pray. And we'll respond and just worship. Father, I thank you that we can come to you. I think you've given us your spirit as a guide. I thank you that you love us enough that you have not left us as orphans. Uh, I thank you that you're gracious with us like you were gracious with Gideon. Um, just direct us and lead us. That's our, that's our prayer and, and decisions as a church, but individually. Little things, big things. Nothing is too big for you. Uh, we trust you. Even if it means we gotta get, get out of the boat, walk across the water, uh, we trust you. And so... Uh, help us to keep our eyes on you, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith. It's in Christ's name I pray.